The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Marketing Signals Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're going to talk about understanding your consumer's mindset through marketing signals. With us today is Ross Gates and Brian Colligan, who are the co-founders of Gravity, which is a series of audience monitoring solutions that enables brands to find real-time buying intent signals like fundraising status, job changes, and various other real-time data points that arm marketers with a reason to start a conversation with their in-market prospects. So far this week, Brian Ross and I have talked about what a marketing signal is and how the most powerful companies in the world are actually marketing signal companies. And today we're going to talk about how you should be collecting your marketing signal data. Okay, here's the third installment of Marketing Signals Week with Ross Gates and Brian Colligan from Gravity. Ross, Brian, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Good to be here. Let's Thank talk you. about collecting. Happy hump day. Let's talk about data collection. What could be more fun? I know. <laughs> All I do all day, every day. It's basically my life. Hey, look, I run a B2B business on some level. I spend a lot of time thinking about how to collect data to understand who we should be reaching out to. For our business, it's how to find people that are interested in sponsoring the MarTech podcast. I'm sure there's lots of different signals that marketers are looking for. I think of collecting signal data as something that has different solutions when you scale. For example, for the MarTech podcast, we want to find people that are running marketing departments for B2B SaaS companies primarily. The best ones are ones that are sponsoring other events or doing some sort of brand marketing. I can go hire somebody on Upwork and Fiverr to go collect some email addresses. That's great if I'm emailing 100 people. I don't think I could do that if I'm trying to understand everybody in the MarTech industry. Walk me through the scope and processes for collecting accurate signal data, depending on how much data you're trying to collect. I'd say that based on how much money you're willing to spend and how many signals, there's two ways to collect these types of signals. If you're only getting a little, you should buy them. You can have someone manually do it, but that's why kind of doing a Facebook or a Google campaign and spending $20 a day is a great way to collect the signals to see if you should even double down on running a campaign. Yeah. So I think part of the problem with buying email lists or buying data at the beginning is that eventually your alpha or your advantage is going to be competed away. There was a company called fab.com and they were really good 
10 years ago in the mobile space, and they had a bunch of products and they were buying a bunch of traffic. But as soon as people figured out how they were buying traffic and what products and how they were getting their products, eventually your advantage will be competed away if you're continually buying so, signals. Hang on, hang on. I want to ask for a clarification because you're talking about buying and building signals. So let's define what you mean by buying a signal as opposed to building it. Buying is where you pay for access to another person's audience. And you can, through the mass amount of traffic of that audience, infer who in that audience cares about your product based on the ads that you put in front of them. Building would be to build something into your website or even buy a platform like a blog or a community where you curate content, you give it out for free, people come for that free content. And now because you own the platform, you can infer what people want from what they're interacting with. And you don't have to pay for it because you own the platform. So buying, somebody else has collected the data and you're advertising through their platform, your Googles, your Facebooks of the world. We kind of all know this. I'd say advertising. And building is having assets where you're collecting data. But that doesn't necessarily have to be through content. There are other ways to build your data by going out and doing actual list building. Yeah. So you can obviously scraping, crawling. That's a lot of the stuff that we do all the time. There's about 19 different traction channels of growth. There's a great book called Traction out there that talks to help startups kind of really define the different 19 channels. But I think over time, the price of emails and the advantage of doing outbound email campaigns over the last five years has tremendously shrunk, right? So if you're out there scraping, people understand how to scrape now. There's a lot more competition. Eventually, you're going to have to build a community. You're going to have to build it into your product. You're going to have to find media publications that you need to interact with, such as the MarTech podcast. And I think there's some really interesting purchases that have happened recently. So Stripe.com, they basically bought the indie hackers community because that was a very high signal. A bunch of makers that are on the community building small SaaS products, they ended up wanting that community. So they ended up buying that whole entire community. Another one is like Robinhood Snacks. These companies, they're buying these publishers because they want that audience. They want direct access to that audience. So you can build a community, you can build an audience, and then essentially some large brand will definitely want to purchase you if that's aligned to them. I got to knock on wood to say that if you build an audience and you make it valuable, that some large company is going to come acquire your assets. A hundred percent. Because they want exclusive data. Because if everyone has the same sources of data to scrape and you make your podcast or whatever it is really hard to scrape, then you have an exclusive signal that gives you a data advantage. I could talk to you all day about how to make sure that when you're building a community of people that have a common theme of interest, how do you actually sell that company? I, I don't think that's specifically what we want to talk about as much as it's interesting to me running the MarTech podcast. At some level, you know, I think of collecting the signal data is, sure, I can go and create content, the MarTech podcast, and technology-driven marketers are going to be my consumers, my content consumers, and now I'm going to collect some data on them and I can market to them. You can go buy third-party data. Hey, there's Gravy Analytics we've had on the podcast before. They look at people that attend events, and I can go buy a list of who attended a marketing event. Not this year, for obvious reasons. Last year, when marketing events were a thing. 
And then there's the idea of like, I'm just going to go onto LinkedIn and scrape some titles. Like that's, I think what most people are doing from a B2B SaaS business. And, and that's kind of where you guys were operate in some sense. Talk to me about the scalability of going and building your list. And what are some of the other ways that you could build a list where it actually scales without you having to manage, you know, 35 people in a foreign country that are doing 25 cent per leads? I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's thousands of people that are selling business to business leads on LinkedIn. I get hit up every single day with another person from a foreign country selling high quality leads, right? So it's really an arms race and people are figuring out how to do this on the individual basis. What ends up happening is over time, these lists get unruly and you have a lot of like duplicated data. I mean, we work a lot of the time with um, sales operations and marketing operations people because it just gets so big. Once you hit like five, seven salespeople, you need a programmatic solution to continually feed 300 to 700 leads and good leads every single month to these salespeople. We, on average, it's around like 300 that we've seen. And if you don't have marketing operations, your sales team is just cannibalizing each other's introduction. I mean, when we first started a couple months ago with this new product, two of our salespeople were tackling the same people by accident, right? And that's where the CRM comes into play. And that's where these lists get unruly. It's not with one single salesperson. It's not with two. But when you start to get the five, seven, 15 different salespeople, you need to be armed and you need to be methodical. And that's kind of like the whole flow of like this account-based marketing methodology. Like we're going to talk about the account and then we're going to talk about how we individually market to the individual people. You need to be a little bit more strategic about that than just spraying and praying with leads. So just to summarize that, when you're scaling, it's not really that you're changing your data source. If you can buy a little bit of data, you can buy a lot. If you can write a little scraper, you can write a scraper that gets more. But the scaling has to do with when you get more, how do you ingest that data into your CRM so that you can keep track of it? Because we're talking about the difference between data and signals. You can have all the data, but how do you compare it to the data you had last month so you know what's changed and what you should reach out to and what you should act on for a conversation? There's a couple different components here that you're talking about. One, the data collection piece. At some point, you have to scale the data collection operation and, and doing it manually, right? Hiring outsourced researchers to collect your data. That can be a painful process at scale. Two, there is the data cleanliness and making sure that your data is real time and up to date. And three, there is the feeding that data into your CRM and making sure that your company knows how to operate on that data. Let's talk about when someone should move from a manual process to what you called a programmatic process. I guess really the question is, what do you mean by programmatic process? Programmatic means that you have a set of processes in place, like you're going to clean the list every month or every couple months. You know, one time I was asked to get the Dreamforce attendee list for Salesforce. And through a series of data trades, and I won't go into the details, I was able to acquire the Dreamforce attendee list. And what essentially happened when I was selling the list, every single day, two to 300 people on the list emails went from valid to invalid. And it meant that they were changing jobs on a daily basis. So the most valuable time I ever had the list was when I originally had it. And then it just atrophies over time. Give me the math here, because I think that this is important. How big was the list? A little over 100,000 people. 
100,000 people, a little bit over, right? So we're talking six figures. And on a daily basis, you were seeing two to 300 emails atrophy. So if I'm doing the math right, that's like 0.2 to 0.3%. So after, what is it, a thousand days, in theory, your list should totally atrophy, right? Yes, that's three years. The average person in tech holds their job for about 18 months, which means that every month, about 5% of the workforce is changing their job. So if you have a database worth a million dollars, every single month you're losing $50,000 worth of value from that database. Which means if you have a million dollar database, you're break even if you're investing $50,000 into data cleanliness. That's what, half a percent? Yeah. Moral of the story, hey, look, guys, we're marketers, we're not mathematicians. <laughs> Let's leave that to the paid search guys. Your list will atrophy quickly, right? You've got a couple of months until a list that you've built is just totally worthless. It's one of the reasons why, and I don't want to totally throw them under the bus, but the Zoom infos of the world, hey, we've got this huge database of email addresses and we've been collecting it. It's like, that's great if you knew who everybody was four years ago, but you got to constantly refresh that. And maybe Zoom Info has technology to do that. But that's one of the reasons why the list buying is often something you have to be very critical about. Yeah. When you're building a data company, you have to be very conscious of the technology you're using. Because even for us, building a process that can manage 100,000 people a month is way different than building a process that can manage 100 million people a month. And companies like ZoomInfo, when they scale up, it might be very hard for them to update their data because they can't actually operate fast enough to do it. So the elephant in the room here is we're going to take a programmatic approach, right? We're going to collect enough data where we don't want to do a manual process because we're going to have to constantly do that and refresh the data. And and it gets expensive, even if you're doing, you know, 25, 50 cent a dollar a lead, you're constantly refreshing those leads every couple of months. So you want a programmatic approach. Well, that sounds like we're building some scrapers and we're reverse engineering some people's websites. And hey, look, what's the boundary here and what's legal and what's not? Talk to me about where the rubber meets the road here. So it's simple for us. We tend to not do anything on the B2C space. So the laws that are around the B2C and PII information, they get really tricky. So the laws around kind of can spam and the B2B space are a lot more lenient. So we are continually scraping and crawling public directories. We're getting information off of Google. We're getting information off of different profiles all over the place. And I think where the rubber meets the road is you have to be comfortable and you have to be able to tell your mom what you do. It's like the little mom check, right? If you're comfortable like telling that to your wife and your family and your friends, then what you're doing is legit. The rules in California specifically are essentially, if you can see it on the screen, then it's legally allowed to be yours, even if you grab it programmatically. Now, that's from a civil state and you can't really stop lawsuits. So anybody can sue you for anything. Let's take an example, right? I want to look for all the people in the MarTech industry. We're actively trying to build a community in MarTech. We want to know who we should reach out to have guests on the podcast. I'm going to LinkedIn. All that stuff is published, right? I know who the companies are. Scott Brinker has published a list of MarTech companies. And that stuff's on LinkedIn. I'm sure LinkedIn has some policies that says don't scrape our data somewhere, right? There is a difference between what is legal in the state's eyes and then what the platforms that publish the data think. How do you reconcile those two things? You have to consider how long you want your company to exist and then act on that. There's companies that have gone out and said straight up, we scrape everything off LinkedIn. We're proud of it. 
and LinkedIn sues them out of existence. Right. And then they have to pivot their company a year later because they can't do that anymore. Note to self, don't publicly state that we want to scrape data from LinkedIn. Oh, shit. The cat's <laughs> out of the bag there. <laughs> so the answer is that you eventually have to build your own signals into your own product. And these steps of buying data or scraping data need to be short-term vehicles to get you to the place where your networker is big enough where you don't need those scraping techniques anymore. That's like the Clearbit approach. They built into their platform the feedback loop of being able to scrape people's emails so that they can continuously update their data. But right. if you're continuing to scrape off a platform long-term, you will get big enough that they will notice and they will sue you out of existence. So basically you can, what I'm hearing, and obviously this is not like legal advice or moral advice, don't steal people's data, goes without saying, but you can kind of go and you can take some data from a platform once and use that as the foundation for the community that you want to reach or the leads that you want to contact. But eventually you have to be able to collect your own data the second part of this is talking about enrichment and making sure that your marketing signals are actually happening in real time. Walk me through the process of understanding which data you need to clean, cleanse, enrich. I'd like to go and step back for a second. I think if you look at the fastest growing companies in Silicon Valley, they were all doing this type of approach, right? So if you look at Airbnb, they use Craigslist and people that were posting short-term rentals on Craigslist as a signal. And then they went to Craigslist and they emailed everybody on Craigslist with a short-term rental and said, hey, we can get you renters into your apartment on Airbnb. And that's how they went through it. There's a famous story about Facebook and getting the email list from all of the Harvard University students. Every single one of these quote-unquote growth hacks were launching pads to their success that if they didn't do these things, they wouldn't exist. So it's kind of debatable now of whether Facebook not is a really good property, but I love Airbnb. And a lot of these programs wouldn't have existed and wouldn't have had the rocket ship growth that they had if they haven't used some of these tactics. Yeah. I mean, you have to start somewhere and just assuming that someone is going to give you marketing signals without any brand reputation, without a way to attract traffic, or if you just have to buy the traffic, that's prohibitively expensive. It really is. So let's go back to my other question about enrichment. Talk to me about how you know when, what, and how to enrich. Marketing needs to be personalized. So you want to update stuff that lets someone know that you're tracking who they are, what they care about, and what state they are in their life. So as far as like who, what, and where, if you're reaching out to someone and you're saying three very specific touch points, like their name, their job, and something that just happened at their company, they're going to say, wow, this person's done their research. Let's have a conversation. Like, hey, Joe, congratulations on joining Gong. I saw they just raised $200 million. So you need to update your data when it's gotten to the point where if you reached out to that person and you said three personalized things, they would go, that was last year and this person doesn't know me at all. It's like every LinkedIn post that I get, hey, congratulations on running Ben J. Shap LLC successfully because that's what's listed on my LinkedIn. Like you're a marketing consultant and I get all of these spammy articles for people trying to sell me agency services and they're not paying attention that the MarTech podcast is the role and responsibility for Ben J. Shap LLC. I am a content producer, not an agency that clearly have not done their homework. So that's data and that data is bad data and it turns you off immediately. So it's about quality over quantity at the end of the day. Okay. So is there a signal to understand which data signals you need to update? 
we have a couple different recipes that are always used. And the way that we angle it is that basically the signal is what's needed to help start a conversation. And that's a lot of the signals that we provide. So new hires, Ross talked about it, I think on Monday's podcast about really going after new hires, technographic changes. So we're analyzing DNS and websites. So as a company goes from one technology to another, we're also analyzing funding signals. When a when company has a liquidity event or a raise event, we're analyzing funding signals as well. But your, your question was on the cadence that you should be monitoring these signals. Mm-hmm. And from Monday, if 5% of the market is changing jobs every single month, then every single month you should at least go through your database and figure out once a month who changed jobs so that you can continue to reach out to those people. About 60 companies get funded every month. If you have a list of 1,000 companies and you're specifically targeting startups that are right for funding, you might want to know every single month which 60 companies got funded so you can hand those to your sales team or your marketing team to go reach out to. Some of our clients track CFOs. So the first time a CFO is hired means that they're ready for a large amount of money. Some of our clients track the first new sales hire, right? So the first time a salesperson... Some of our clients track the percentage of marketing versus sales versus engineering. As marketing sales company, the function of marketing sales percentage starts to grow. That means they're starting to create more revenue within the companies and they're moving away from product market fit to now a growth company. And just lastly, when you're talking about how often you should do it, if you could, you should do it every single day. And that's honestly the thing that's the most confusing to me. Let's say I've got a million dollar database, right? I've got a hundred thousand leads. They cost me $10 each to collect and enrich at one point and 0.3% of them are going bad every day. How do I know which 0.3% of them? Like, yeah, I only want to enrich the ones that went bad. Dude, you're giving us a layup. That's what we do, right? <laughs> so they can come to us. Right. How the hell do you do that? <laughs> I can't tell you our secret sauce, but I can tell you is we have five different sources of data that we correlate together and we angle together to make sure that it's clean and up to date. And it's based on job changes. I mean, that's what you want to know that changes with someone. And why you can do it once a month is if you have 100,000 people and you're reaching out to them, you reach out to a bunch of people. When you update the data, it is the most valuable it's going to be. So you focus your sales team every single month on what was just updated because there's a reason to start a conversation. Yeah, and I think that's the important point is that when you're thinking about what data to enrich, it's the oldest data. The newest stuff that you just enrich is the freshest. So essentially, it sounds like you set an enrichment budget. Obviously, you guys have some technology and some hacks and you're sciencing the shit out of this. For the rest of us, you know, Mohammed is our researcher and he is based in Egypt. I'm building a list. And at some point when we're done building the list and we've collected all of our data for us, it's we collect the data and then we use it. But let's say we were going to collect the entire list at once. I'm going to go look at what the oldest data is and enrich it and use the newest data. Yeah, that's a smart process. We're just kind of time agnostic. We just look at it all and enrich it all once we do our matching algo. So we have like our own kind of database with 50 million people and we do our own matching algo to basically make it programmatic. But your Mohammed method, it works, right? And it works 3,000, maybe it works to 10,000 people. We reach out to like 200 people a month. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to hit a threshold though when you're at like 30,000, 50,000 people 
where you're going to have to have a marketing operations person running 10 virtual assistants in a foreign country just to keep your database up to, and now you're spending $100,000 a year on them. And then you're spending like all this other money. I've seen budgets of $250,000 a year to solve this problem manually. But just to backwards calculate, if you want to reach out to 200 people a month and 5% of people are changing jobs every month, then you have to reach out to what's 200 times 20. You have to have Mohammed go through 4,000 people every single month just to find those 200 people a month. The one thing that I'll push back on, you said by the time we get to 10 researchers, we will have scale problems. Uh, my hope is that Midroll or Spotify will have acquired the podcast at that point. <laughs> All right, guys, excited to continue the conversation. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Ross Gates and Brian Colligan, co-founders of Gravity, for joining us. If you'd like to hear more of Ross and Brian's tips for finding and using marketing signals, we're going to publish an episode every day this week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning when we talk about the power and the problem with marketing signals. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with Ross and Brian, you can find links to their LinkedIn profile in their show notes, or you can visit their company's website, which is launchgravity.com, L-A-U-N-C-H-G-R-A-V-I-T-Y.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You could subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.